Welcome to the Made of Human podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I guess you'd say if this was a radio show. Thank you for downloading this and and listening to it. Uh, it's just, it's a podcast in which I try to talk to people about how to do life. I'm trying to understand how life works and how to be an adult person. I'm not saying I have the answers. I really don't. But I do have some uh, brilliant guests who can give you some kind of perspective and <laughs> maybe uh, remind you that you're not alone in not knowing how to to do this stuff. So that's the podcast. I am. Uh, I am. I'm so tired. I'm sorry. So, so tired. This is International Women's Day and I'm meant to not work and, and strike. And I wish oh, I just hadn't even, I hadn't planned, I hadn't planned it. I'm a, I'm a bad feminist today. I have to do this. I have to, I have to work. And it's, um, yeah, I'm, I have so much, I have so much respect for people who fight. That's all I can say. I have so much respect for people who fight. And uh, last week, uh, on last week's episode, I shared the story about an Irish promoter who uh, have said bad things on stage, bad things about bad people, racial slurs, sexist stuff, homophobic stuff. And uh, I asked you all to go in and, and sign a petition. And so many of you have done that. I think we must have had about 500 extra signatures on this petition. I've had retweets. I've had people supporting. I've had people sharing their stories with me. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you for, for actually doing something. I keep tweeting it. I you know, the, that promoter has been in touch basically asking me to stop tweeting about it. So now I'm tweeting about it every single day because, uh, you know, that's that feels threatening. It feels threatening when someone goes, stop doing this when when this guy has said things that I can't even repeat to because it would hurt so much. So, uh, yeah, go Twitter. It's It'll still be on, um, the petition will still be on the Emma Halton episode show notes. If you want to go and sign it. Uh, I told you that I would keep you up to date with what's happening. I am in dialogue with uh, the promoter in question and I'm trying to, I've let him know basically what he has to do in order for this to go away, which is, you know, apologize, like genuinely apologize, understand, like let, like ex explain that he understands what he's done and how that's gruesome and then promise to change and then actually change. Uh, you know, it's not a witch hunt. We don't just want to, for fun, make someone unemployed. That's not what this is about. It's about it's about using power and money as the, because that's the only thing that some people can can understand is if you threaten to take away their power and their money. It's not about human decency anymore. They wouldn't listen to that. You can't empathize with some people. You need to say, right, okay, we're going to take away the only thing that, that actually matters to you. We're going to threaten to try and get you out of this business because you're hurting people. And, you know, if, if you don't learn what you're doing wrong, then, I mean, we just can't have, we can't have uh, women, gay people and, and uh, people of color feeling unsafe, you know, because we'll just end up with a lot of white, straight, cisgendered men who you know, they can do all the rape jokes they want on stage and because the promoter and the MC of this gig is one of them as well. So so that's so that's why I'm uh I'm grateful for everyone who fights and I feel bad about being a bad feminist today. So 
Okay, I'll quickly run through all this stuff. I'm also, I'm, I've been crying so much because you people, because I've told you about the t-shirts. We have t-shirts now, both with the new logo, uh, which is by Linda Brinkhouse, and uh, the two Susan Kalman t-shirts with the Susan Kalman uh, hashtags, Sophie and Susan in a caravan um, t-shirts. And it's uh, you're sending me photos of you wearing them, and I'm just crying because it's so beautiful. And like my face on a t-shirt, who, who knew? I mean... It's incredible, and I'm so touched. And um, so, yeah, thank you for sending that. Uh, you can buy the t-shirts on madeofhumanpodcast.com under shop. And uh, oh, I'm so excited. The first time I see someone wearing that in person, I'm going to explode and, and cry and all of that. So so if you want to see me explode and cry, buy a t-shirt and then buy a ticket for my show Shimmer Shatter, which is at the Soho Theatre in May, first week of May. You can buy tickets on sohotheatre.com. If you wear the t-shirt, I'll explode. Uh, I might explode inside of myself because I'm not good at showing emotion, but I will definitely freak out in some capacity. If you want to know about other gigs I'm doing, go to sophiehagen.com forward slash newsletter and I'll tell you all about what I'm doing tour-wise, Edinburgh show-wise, London shows-wise, Denmark shows-wise, all of that. So, oh, um, also, I there's a thing called British Podcast Awards and I think you can go to that and vote for the Mopart, which would obviously be incredible, but... I, you know, I'm always, I'm asking way too much of you. So, um, you know, if you have a lot of time on your hands, that would be lovely. I would, I would cry again, but also I don't want to like push you to do too much stuff. Okay. So the guest this day, the guest in this episode is Gina Yashere, who is my idol. I was scared. I was scared of fucking this up because she's so cool. And I guess that, I think that's the first thing I say to her is how cool she is. She's so cool. And, um, what you need to know is about after, I think 48 minutes or so, uh, the my recorder stopped, just stopped. Um, and then I we had to use the emergency recording. And I don't think it's too much of a difference. I don't think it'll annoy you too much. But for the last couple of minutes, the sound will be a tiny bit weird. But that's, I think, I think I've managed to fix it. So that's all you need to know. Uh, and now, you know what, just let yourself be inspired as fuck <laughs> by one of the strongest people I know uh, and funniest and loveliest. Uh, please enjoy this episode with Gina Yashere. Right, say something. Hello, Gina. What's happening, Sophie? <laughs> That's perfect. All good. Uh, so you just came back from... Yeah, so my last show was in Bangkok at the Bangkok Comedy Club. Wow. Yeah, so that was on the way back. Because what I do every year, I go, I come back to London, see my family for Christmas, then I do, I go to Thailand, so I book a, a London-Thailand flight and come back. And then, so I go to Thailand, and then from there, I just book whatever gigs I can around Asia, pop all around Asia, and then I fly back to Bangkok, and then fly back to London from there. Yeah. Are you a good traveller? Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty much of an expert on the whole thing now. I'm yeah. an expert traveller. I don't, en- I don't enjoy the flight so much. I'm not a big, you know, uh, but I make it as comfortable as I can. Yeah. yeah. Any tips? Uh, tips for what? Flying or just general travelling? General travelling. Always have an extension lead. I have an ah. extension lead because some of the hotels are very stingy with the old. Uh, <laughs> yeah electric socket so i have an extension lead never travel without one i also have a long hdmi lead to plug from my laptop to any tv so i can watch my stuff from my laptop on a tv oh, in a hotel that is room. smart so i can stream my tv yep so those are two things i never travel about i also have a satin sleeping bag because i'm very ocd 
a about satin sleeping bag. bag. Yeah, if I don't trust the bed and it oh. looks weird to me, I get in my sleeping bag in the bed and I have my own pillow, travel pillow and travel slippers because I am weirdly OCD. Yeah, about yeah. Uh, sleeping in uh, other beds. Yeah, sleeping in other beds, carpet. I don't. My feet never touch the floor. Oh, is it a Things hygiene like, thing or like a dirt thing? It's or? a dirt thing. Yeah. I'm not. People say, "Oh, you're a germaphobe." I'm not a germaphobe. I just it's dirt. I don't. Ugh. If there's a stain on the sheets, that puts me right off the whole. Even if it's just, it puts me off. And what if you knew where it was from, or is it the not knowing part? Yes, the not knowing. Yeah. So if you knew, oh, that's chocolate from the previous. Even that even makes that. me feel sick. I'm like, <laughs> why is there still it, chocolate on the bed from somebody else? It's yeah, gross. That's a good point. So I will put my sleep, and it could be chocolate, it could be shit. You don't know. You never know. So yeah, sleep. It's very small. It rolls up really small. Because I did a month traveling around with just hand luggage. Wow. So I just had a roller and a rucksack, so I had to pack very ruthlessly. Yeah. So, yeah. And I suffer from uh, sleep apnea. So that was including my CPAP machine. And what is that, sleep apnea? It's a, uh, basically, I stop breathing in the night when I'm sleeping. That's... My neck just basically... <laughs> Sounds like a bad thing. ...tries to kill me. Yeah, so basically I have to have a mask that I wear on my oh. face and a little machine that blows oxygen down this mask to keep my airways open Holy otherwise shit. I suffocate in my sleep <laughs> can you get that through customs and, and through security oh yeah it's medical equipment it's great oh, okay. so when you fly EasyJet and they go oh you're only allowed on the plane with the rucksack and you have to pay to have a roller I go no nah, it's medical equipment oh amazing so even if I haven't got it with me I still say I've got it with me <laughs> that's oh wow how long have you had, I mean that makes it difficult to travel but you do it anyways you yeah it's, a, a it's only a small machine i got the smallest one you can get um yeah it's not fun i got diagnosed no. in 2005 i got to sleep with a freaking machine attached to my face it's not fun no but i get sleep now whereas before for years i didn't realize because uh, when you're doing you're suffocating in your sleep so you're waking up 50 times a night and you don't realize it because you're in oh, that. you don't know why yeah and so you all day you're like why am i so tired i slept eight hours but you didn't you slept maybe an hour if you're lucky Whoa. so that was happened to me for years and then i went to yeah for uh, like what the first what like 30 something years no like? it came uh i don't know how long i've had it to be honest it might have been 30 something years but i don't i don't know who knows no, who knows but then all you know i've been told before yeah you stop breathing or you snore really loud It's because you're not breathing. Because you're like, you're like, oh, you wow. did that. You don't realize you're doing it because you're asleep. Holy shit! So yeah, that sounds fairly dangerous. It is. If it's not treated, it yeah. can uh, cause heart damage to your heart because your heart is constantly fight or flight when you're because you're suffocating. Your heart's like, yeah. so it causes damage to your heart over a long period of time, and it can cause strokes and diabetes and all kinds of shit. So Holy shit! Well, that, I'm yeah. sorry for opening with that. <laughs> I've got a machine. You got the machine. I'm good. You got the machine. The sleeping bag. I'm in that. I'm pretty healthy. Courts. That's great. You you kind of you amaze me in so many ways because you're so just. It's, I mean, confident doesn't even begin to cover it. <laughs> like cool. I want to say cool. I like cool. Cool is yeah. good. I like cool. Yeah, cool works. Have you always been cool? No, I was not a popular kid at school. No. No, not at all. Um. I can't imagine that. Oh, yeah, I used to fight. So oh. I I got, you know, I didn't get bullied because I used to fight back a lot. So I constantly got into fights at school, but I was not popular. Physical fights? Physical fights, yeah. Uh, I fought a lot. took people out? I had to. It was either get beaten up or fight back and, and just make people think you're crazy and then they don't bother you so much. So I went the other way. <laughs> went I went the, the crazy way. route. Like, oh, that bitch is crazy. Don't fight her. She will 
I uh, sure I'll throw chairs across the classroom. I did all oh, that kind of shit. stuff as a kid. But yeah, so I was not cool at school. Um I was brought up, you know, I was my family's Nigerian, so there was a divide between the Caribbean kids and the African kids. It's not so much now. The newer generation, the younger generation is a lot better. But when I was a kid, we're talking sort of seventies, eighties. Yeah. Uh, being an African kid was not cool as a black kid. So all the, I never suffered racism from white kids. I suffered it from other black kids. Caribbean kids go, you, 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 African this, African that. Because obviously there was that divide, slavery, right. and it's cut, passed down from generations. So the Caribbean people at the time, now people know more about their history and they don't, they, you know, the whole thing of slavery. But at the time, Caribbean kids were like, yeah, we were taken out of Africa because Africans are primitive and they're animals and they live like this and all basically it was the indoctrination that they've been wow. given by white people for hundreds of years and it trickled down and so at school i'm talking about when i'm eight years old i'm getting other black kids spitting on me yeah you africanish you fuck it you know so that's what i went through but it's better now because well i was born in england my kids and the people of my age and my kids will be born in england so everybody's born in england so you've all got the same background but at the time my mum was an african is an african and she'd come to parents evening with full you know african attire on so i couldn't deny my mum was an african so yeah there was a lot of that wow. tribalism kind, kind like of internalized yeah, racism or something it's, it's internalized self-hatred yeah. basically yeah. i mean it's a lot better now because a lot, we're a lot more knowledgeable about what happened and, and so now people are a lot more aware that all black people re- came from Africa where at the time Caribbeans were like no, we ain't African I'm Jamaican or I'm the, you know they, wow. they didn't know the history of it and that was like seven, 70s that's like that's recently I know but we weren't really taught about it much in schools I remember the lesson on slavery school it was literally one lesson it was, like, it was, it was that diagram that of all the bodies in the boat and go this is how the slaves were arranged and that was the one lesson and just the logistics yeah and I didn't even relate to that I didn't even realize even my family's African and I did not relate to that I was like oh and then you read then you see roots then roots open my mind I was like oh shit that's what happened to us <gasps> but you know the school lessons it was very much brushed aside so because of that that's why you had a lot of kids not knowing their, their full yeah. history and I suffered a lot of mistreatment at school. So I'd have a bunch of friends that I'd hang out with, but I was the only African in the group. So if I fell out with one of them, all of them turned on me. So I'd ha- end up having to fight all of them or none of them talking to me for whatever, two weeks until that person decided we were friends again. Then they all talked to me again. It was all that shit. So I couldn't wait to leave school. <laughs> <laughs> shit. What did you do between school and, and stand-up? I was an engineer. You're an engineer? Yeah. So uh, my family's pretty academic. So my mum, and it's an African thing. You know, an African family, you've got, you've only got like four career choices, doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, engineer. and an and extra one is disgrace to the family. So you pick one of those. And um, <laughs> so I was meant to be the doctor. Literally, my mum brought me up thinking I was going to be a doctor. And I thought I was going to be a doctor until I got to A-level biology. And then, uh, oh no. And then we had to cut open a rat and I was like, oh, oh shit. God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I discovered I cannot stand could- the sight of blood or anything. What about when you beat people up with not blood there? No. It was kids no. fighting. It wasn't no. like now where kids are stabbing each other in the right. face. I'm talking fisticuffs. It was not like, it was like, pull each other's hair and, you know, roll around a bit. And then that was the end of that. And it was like, oh, Gina won. All right, stay away from her. It wasn't like proper. I wasn't hurting people. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was, it was kids fights what they're supposed to be, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, not, not like now where kids actually die, you know? Yeah. 
So yeah. So um, you couldn't, you can't deal with blood either. Can't deal with it. So I switched from that to engineering. So I studied I had physics, maths, and French A level. That's what I studied. <sighs> And yeah. then from there, I worked as an engineer, worked for British Telecom for a few years. And then my last job before I did stand-up, I used to work for Otis, building and repairing lifts. Wow. That's what I did. And then you thought, no, nah, I'm going to go with the disgrace. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I didn't know anything about comedy. I'd never really... You know, you see comedians on TV, but you just assume that's a different breed of person. Yeah. I never thought I could be that. People no. always told me I was funny. And I remember at school, a drama teacher going, you need to be an actor or something. You need to be an entertainer. Because, you know, I either fought to, to stay, keep the bullies away or I used humour. So it was one of those two. It was more fighting than humour. But, you know, I did use humour from time to time. So people always told me I was funny. But I was an engineer and I was happy to be an engineer. I was working my career path. I was going to do my engineering and go into management. And I had it all worked out. My career path worked out. But working for this company, Otis, I was the first female engineer they'd ever had in England in their 100-year history. Wow. So they didn't know what to do with me. They had me on all the brochures. <laughs> like, if you look at all the brochures of Otis in the 90s, it, it would be pictures of me. Going, we are an equal opportunity. Look at that. We've got a black girl fixing. So they had me on all the brochures. But when it came to actually promoting me the way that I'm supposed to be, like the way the other guys were being promoted, that wasn't happening. So after a few years of that, I, I, I took them to like a, a grievance procedure because I was like, this is what I'm supposed to get after I've done this, this and this, which is what all my colleagues get. I'm not getting it. So I went to a grievance procedure. Now I'm supposed to have a union representative because I paid my union dues for the whole four years I was there. This was what my actual union rep said to me. Ah, we don't know about this women stuff. And they refused to represent me at my procedure. Yeah, my what union did Wait, not. What was this? This was in 1991, two, something like that. Jesus. So they refused to represent me. At my, so obviously I went to the grievance procedure by myself and they ruled against me, obviously, because yeah. I had no backup. So I sort of potted on in that job for another year or so. And then I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done with this. You know, I'm done with it. So in the middle of sort of 94, 495, the building industry in England went through a slump and they were making people redundant. They didn't want to make me redundant because I was their fucking token black girl to put on all their brochures. But I went into the management. I said, you make me redundant or else I'm going to leave and take you to a tribunal. So the choice is yours. So they made me redundant. I got a payoff and I had the summer off. This happened in the summer. So I had the summer off and I was like, yay, I've got money. You know, they gave me about five grand, which at the time was a lot of money at the age of 22, whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm rich. So I had the summer off. You know, I had a flat that my rent was very cheap. It was like 100 quid a month and a car all paid off. So I was like, oh, life is good. So I spent the summer just chilling out, enjoying myself, living the same lifestyle. And then it was in that time that I fell into comedy because I was like, right, OK, let me do stuff that I've always fancied doing that, you know, I never had time to do because I had a job. So, you know, I did a couple of acting workshops and did, you know, I did voluntary work. And, and how I got into comedy was I was doing voluntary work for this uh, organisation that, you know, did stuff in the black community. And one day they were like, we're going to do a talent show. Like, we're going to do a show, a fundraiser. So, like, if you're a poet, singer or anything, just come on and do some stuff. And me and my two friends were always messing around. And we, I wrote what I thought was a play. <laughs> A serious play? Yeah, I thought it was a play. I knew it was humorous, but I thought it was a play. And it was, and it was serious because it was a play. And it ended with us doing African dance at the end of it. Like, <laughs> it was a 15-minute play. So I wrote this thing for the, me and my two friends to, to, uh, to perform. And people pissed themselves laughing throughout the whole play. And I was like, oh, 
this must be comedy. <laughs> and that's how I got into comedy. And then the other two girls didn't really want to continue it. So I continued myself as a stand-up. And that's how I got into it. You know, how I first did my first stand-up thing was uh, I did this play and then we, we kept taking it to talent competitions and winning competitions with this one play and I had writer's block so we just did this, did this one <laughs> sketch and then one day the two girls didn't turn up for a semi-final that we'd got through to so I went on stage and just talked for a few minutes and they were like we love it and we I won and got us through to the final so then I was like hmm, hmm. I can do this by myself <laughs> and that's how it went wow and that's how I got into comedy wow and then you just started gigging were you not nervous luckily for me I got laughs the first time I did it. Yeah. Maybe if I hadn't and I'd got booed off, maybe I'd have gone, eh, that's not uh, for me. And I might, because I'm a person, I throw everything into it. Yeah. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, I'm like, all right, on to the next thing. And that's how my life has always been. So I, think I was lucky that I'm naturally funny. So it worked. And then I just worked on it and worked on getting better. But yeah, I'd get little five pound gigs here, 10 pound gigs here. And I was like, this is good. If I can make sort of 50 quid a week doing this, this is all right. And I just sort of carried on doing that. And yeah, and I was like, well, I'll go back to engineering, you know, in the winter. So I'll enjoy summer for six weeks, six months or whatever. And then in the winter, I'll go back to work, go and get a proper job again. But, you know, that never happened. That, that was like never happened. 21 years ago. Holy <laughs> shit. When was the first time in comedy that you felt like, oh, this isn't just, you know, this is no longer just an upgoing spiral of good things? Oh, what, when it, when it started to not be good anymore? Yeah, you know, when you, when you, because you, it sounded like everything just went really well in the beginning. And there must have been the time where, you know, when you start realizing, oh, shit, this, this is hard for whatever reason. Yeah, it, I mean, it started going really well. Within six months, I got on, you know, talent show on TV and started getting bits and bobs. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is great. I could, I'm really good at this. I'm going to be a star. You know, that's how you think. And then I hit my first obstacles, you know, the bit of racism a bit of sexism not getting certain things because I didn't look a certain way and then I was like oh shit this is a slog so it became yeah and then it became more of like oh this is going to be a struggle and this is and it turned it more into a job than more the fun part you know first I was just excited it was fun this is great mm. and then it became all right I want to make a living of this and now I want to be successful you know when I first started out it was like it was just you know whatever whatever happens happens this is awesome and then it was like Then it kicked in. All right, this is serious. This is what I'm going to do for a living. I need to be really good at this. And I'm an engineer, so I think like an engineer. So I'm like, right, so if I do this for a certain number of years and get this good, I should get this TV show. And then after I get this TV show, I should go on to this. So that's how I worked it out. And it obviously didn't work out that way. Well, had you, was that because you hadn't taken sexism and racism and stuff into account? I hadn't taken that into yeah. account. You know, as when I was an engineer, I was like, right, I had got these qualifications, and so I had to get this. Yeah. So I put the same sort of methodical thinking into comedy. Right, I get this good. I can do this amount of time. I make this number of people laugh. I should get this. And it, it, yeah, it came pretty early on, sort of a year, two years in. I was like, oh, shit, that's not necessarily how it's going to work simply because I look a certain way or sound a certain way. So that's when it became, it came, you know, it became a lot clearer to me. Was it, were you surprised? Because I'm, su I'm surprised how surprised I am. Yeah, you know? I, I was surprised. And I was surprised at how cutthroat the business was and how comedians were so bitter and angry. And, and there was a lot of hatred towards me when I first came out. Not, yeah, people thought I was cocky or whatever. But, but, you know, I wasn't cocky. I was confident and 
I, I was like, I'm pretty good at this and I want to get better. And I was ambitious. And when you see that in a younger comic and sometimes it make it sort of rubs you up the wrong way. So that happened a lot to me at the beginning. But then it got to a point where I was like, oh, these guys will hate me because I'm good. <laughs> They're threatened by me. And then my attitude changed. I was like, fuck them. I'm going to give them something to really. And then my whole <laughs> attitude changed. Yeah, I became because I wasn't that confident. I was confident. It was it was more, you know, it was a. I had a swagger about me, but I wasn't that. Con- I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted everybody to be my friend, and I was very sad when comedians were you know talking about me behind my back, and I was hearing all this stuff coming back about me and going, "Why?" And then after I had that epiphany, I was like, "Well, fuck them. Wow. I'm just gonna be really fucking good and piss them right off." <laughs> Changed my attitude. Yeah, do you still have that? Yeah. Are you no oh, longer, you don't care, you, give, you don't give a shit about... Oh, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't care. I say what I say. You like me or you don't, you know. Some comedians like me, some pretend they like me and they talk shit about me behind my back. Fuck them, I don't care. I'll keep pissing them off with my success. Because <laughs> they hate that. Oh, God. You, I've seen you talk, was that on, I feel like it might have been on Instagram yesterday or something, when you talked about the difference between, because then you moved to America, to yes. New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you, Oh, yeah, because I just sold a special. Yeah, that's, so. Yeah, so I just sold a special, well, my, I've made three specials. I make all my own specials nice. because they weren't giving it to me. They're not going to give it to me. Uh, you know, other comedians, they just come out, they got seven minutes of material and suddenly they're on TV and suddenly they're getting their stand-up DVDs made and money put into them. That never happened for me. So I was like, well, I want to make DVDs. I, I've got lots of jokes and I think I'm really good and I've got an audience out there that, that want to hear it, but nobody's offering that shit to me. So I'm, I'm going to make my own. Fuck them. My thing has always been, fuck them. If they don't, they don't give it to me, I'm going to do it. So yeah, I literally put my own money and made my own spe- uh, DVDs, specials. They call them specials in America. So I made three of them with my own money and uh, the first one uh, I made it was called Skinny Bitch because I used to be a big girl and I lost weight and people thought I was sick so you know and I sold that one to Showtime in the U- US which is big the second one I've got a distribution bill all over it's already on it's on Sirius I get nice checks every month from Sirius X is it Sirius anyway you know the digital radio yeah, yeah. so I sold that to them the third one I've just sold to CISO TV, which is a new uh, online channel which is kind of going up against Netflix, except they only have comedy. All they do is comedy. So they just bought my third special. So I, I was on Instagram and putting clips of the new special because it launched yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about how I've only been in America less than 10 years and I've sold three stand-up specials in America. And in England, I'm way more famous than I ever... I, way more famous than I am in America. And yet, I've never had any of my stand-up DVDs or specials on any TV channel anywhere in England. What does that tell you? You know, what does that tell you? Mm. Do you think there's a... I don't know if there must be a, an equivalent. We have a thing in Denmark or in Scandinavia called Jenselo, mm-hmm. which means like the law of Jense, which is based on a book. And it's 10 rules about... It's kind of hard to explain, but it's kind of 10 rules. And they are, uh, don't think you're better than anyone else. Don't think we need to listen to you more than we need to listen to anyone else. Don't think that you're more important than anyone else. Don't think you're special. It's all these rules that mm. we kind of put into everyone in Scandinavia where, yeah. you know, you we don't tell kids you could be president. We go, yeah, but maybe you just need to do a little, whatever. Really? And <laughs> I feel like that's a bit of that in, in that like humbleness. Or like a, uh, you kind of have to be a bit humble in uh, in at least in the UK as well, you don't you don't really. It's fake though. 
Yeah. I hate it when I hear comedians who've made it big go, oh, I don't know, I must have been in the right place at the right time. It's just, I'm like, fuck off. You work your ass off, you're super ambitious, and, and that's how you got. Just say it, you worked hard for it, you wanted it, and that's why you have it. Don't fucking put that, I hate that fake humility thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not into that at all. But you feel like it's a thing, right? If you get yeah. reactions from being the opposite of that, yeah. I mean, people are terrified and, of that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why America's a better home for me because everybody's like, yeah, we can do it. This is it. Yeah, I want it and I'm having it. And that's always been, I'm, I'm kind of gung-ho, you know, and that's always been my attitude. I'm like, yeah, I feel I'm good at what I do. I think I'm fucking great at what I do. So yeah, I feel like I should be as getting, uh, that's the thing, that's the, the, the problem. I've got to stop comparing myself. I've learned over the years to stop comparing myself to other people. Just getting, hold on a minute, how did, but it's frustrating sometimes when mm. you see people getting on and you're like, come on. He got on because his dad's this person or mm. he got on because he's white and middle class and that's the only thing. He's not any funnier than me and that irritates the fuck out of me. But I've learned to let that go. <laughs> I've learned to let it go and just follow my path. Yeah. Yeah. How do you learn that? Because I know that's a lot. That's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. Uh, you just have to keep reminding yourself. Hold on. Every time I go, fuck. Why is that? Ha- why has she got that away? Then I go, hold on a minute, Gina. You've made a great living for twenty years doing something you absolutely love doing. Not many people can do that. Most people spend forty odd years working in jobs that they don't enjoy or they hate just to earn money to put food on the table. I travel around the world talking shit for money and I love doing it. I love waking up in the morning. It's great. So that's how I have to go. There's a lot of people who love to be doing what you're doing right now. Shut the fuck up. So that's how I, that's basically what I do to myself. I tell myself every once in a while. <laughs> do you feel like you're, the way you approach comedy, is that, do you approach life in the same way? Or do you, is comedy the place where you're, like everything's going right? No, I pr- approach life pretty much the same way. I go for it. If I'm into something or somebody, I go for it. Then when it's over, I'm like, oh, all right then. Oh, I'm sad. All right, next. That's how I am. I don't Do know where no it's... fear. Are you not scared at all? I get scared on your behalf hearing this <laughs> happening. <laughs> you have no fear. I have fear, but then you just, just go, well, what could possibly go wrong? If it goes, if, as long as it's not going to kill me. Yeah. And even then, I'm like, fuck it. You know, I, I've got diagnosed with lupus, which is a life-threatening disease. And I was like, yeah, well, let's see if I can, you know, work out how a way around this. Fuck it. I'm not letting it beat me yet until I'm dying. I'm not dying yet. So let's see if I can work my way around this. And that's how my attitude has always been. Yeah, I get frightened. You get scared and I go, fuck, this is scary. Ah. And then I go, all right, well, when, what can I do about this? You know, and. I try and work yeah. my way. It might be a defense mechanism. It, <laughs> might, it might all be buried deep inside me. And it'll oh, just, God. My heart will explode one day and I'll <laughs> die because it all comes back all at once. But All the fear at once. Yeah. <laughs> where does that come from? Do you, do you, can you look back at your life and see where that, where that happened, that you got that attitude to it? Uh, well, my mum came over to England as an immigrant by herself pretty much my, my, she came over my dad my def, dad left when I was three so I don't even really never really knew my dad so my mum brought us up by ourselves we had a stepdad who's a cunt that was another story so I think it was just that resilience you just had to have that resilience and that get up and go and you know and my mum was 
even though she's a confident Nigerian woman, you see her out with her friends at any party, she's the life and soul. But at the same time, at home, she was very smothering of us. Like, we weren't allowed to go anywhere, do anything, no school trips, nothing. She was super over, ridiculously overprotective of us. So she kind of smothered us in that way, and that we weren't allowed to go anywhere, do anything, which means I rebelled crazy. When I hit 18, I was like, I'm going clubbing, skydiving, I'm going to ride motorbikes, I'm going to race cars, I'm going to do stuff that you would never let me do as a child. So I just went a bit crazy the other end, you know. But it was a good rebellion. I didn't become a criminal. Yeah. I didn't end up pregnant. You know what I mean? I just literally just went, I'm going to do all the devil, devil shit. So I think that came from, a, it was a release. Well, as soon as I got old enough, 18, I was like, all right, I'm old enough. I've got a job. I've got a car. She can't tell me anything now. I'm free. Ugh! Do you still get that? Huh? Do you think you, do you think you still do that? Part of you is still rebelling. Uh, not so much now. I've worn my mum down over the years. Yeah. Now she's like, ugh. Oh, God, it's Gina. They, I'm the crazy one in the family, basically. Yeah. So now I've just worn them down. They're like, oh, yeah, it's just Gina. That's what she does. <laughs> How many siblings? I've got two brothers, two sisters. And you are in... I'm second. So I've got an older second. sister who's eight years older than me, then me, and then two brothers, all of us in, like, me, 18 months brother, 18 months another brother, and then three years sister. So my mum, after my older sister, she waited a bit and then knocked us all out back to back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And are they all... Uh... Uh, engineers and doctors the way my older sister was an auditor now she's a counselor oh. my brother works for manager is a manager on the london underground so that's basically they've all yeah. they're all normal people yeah. i'm the only one in the family who's not normal how was that accept it how was that taken in i went out tell my mum i i left my engineering job and my mum was like you're gonna get another job oh yeah, yeah i'm gonna get another job and then i went into comedy and then tell my mum's gonna be a comedian she's like what is, what, what, what is this i don't want to you want to be a clown I don't, I don't understand she just didn't get it she thought comedian was clown she thought it was the same thing <laughs> so she didn't get it but then you know I got reasonably successful quite early got on TV quite early and then she was like oh you're on TV with Jonathan Ross oh and then the whole thing was validated by Jonathan Ross and then now she's, she couldn't be prouder Oh, that's good. In fact, I did. I hosted um, live at the Apollo this season, and my mum was in the crowd. And oh. I did the I did a whole routine about my mum and how crazy overprotective she was, and how you know she wasn't impressed with the whole comedy thing. And then I was like, my mum's in the crowd, and my mum just stood up like and all the live at the Apollo crowd. Were like, and my mum's like, yeah, just <laughs> lapping it up. You gotta watch it; it's hilarious. I'm like, all right, mum, you can sit down. Sit down, mum. She's like, yes, I am the one. Yes, it is me. And uh, I was hoping that the BBC would leave it in, and they did, which was great. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, they left it in. It's so funny. You've got to watch it. It's hilarious. I'd love to. Is that on um, YouTube, Facebook? Or well, you have to... Yeah, it should be on YouTube. We can't see and CISO here, can yeah, we? Yeah, they. Uh, but that's live at the Apollo. That's here. Oh, yes. Oh, too, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll it be was on, on YouTube. La- it was on last week. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, she watched it over and over again. Oh, my mum loves it. But yeah. The first time it went out, I was calling my mum going, you watching yourself? My mum was on the phone to all her friends. <laughs> Going, watch me, I'm on TV, I'm coming on in five minutes. Wait, wait. So I don't even think she watched it. She was so busy calling all her friends to make sure they watched it. Hilarious. That's amazing. So you have a good relationship with her. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. drive each other nuts because we're both Aries and both fiery and very stubborn and very obstinate. But yeah, I mean, she drives me mad. We have massive fights and then I don't talk to her for two days and then I call her back and we just carry on where we left off. That sounds normal, Ugh. right? Sort of. <laughs> Are you are you easy being in a relationship with? Uh, I think I am. But then again, no, I think I'm not. But m- most of my girlfriends think I am. I'm reasonably easy. 
Yeah. So I was trying to Google you to see if there was anything in any interviews, and I found an interview where you basically said you were probably never gonna find anyone. You were just gonna be alone forever. And you were kind of a commitment to phobe. And well, it wasn't just a commitment. Phobe. I like being alone. I like it. I like my own freedom. And all previous girlfriends or partners have always been clingy and always. And after a while, that just annoys the fuck out of me. If you call me too many times, it annoys me. And then I stop returning your calls and then it becomes a thing and it becomes weird. But my current girlfriend who I've been with for three years is easy. We have a good time. We have fun. When we're away, she's not too busy. She doesn't stalk me too much, you know, <laughs> and she's has her own life and her own friends and her own interests, which is great. So that's working well so far. Fingers crossed. It's been three and a half years. It's good. She's lovely. She's great. Oh, I met her in Rotterdam. Yes, you did. You did meet yeah, her in Rotterdam. That's great. Right. So we have a good time. We're fun, and there's no, it's no clingy. There's no weirdness. So this could be the one. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah, I think it is. Because in the interview, you said that you would never, if you ever ended up with anyone, you'd have to have, uh, you could never live together. You'd have to have a house next to each other. Yeah. Would you live together? We do. And how's that going? It's going really well. Yeah. When I first moved in with her, I did not want to, because basically I met her. I was living in Los Angeles when I met her. She lives in New York. I was living in LA, and it's so funny because I, let's say June 2013, I'd said to myself, right, in a year's time, June 2014, I am moving to New York. I'm done with LA. So I made that decision, and I spent 12 months closing down my life and preparing for my move. So I had the date set, June, I'm moving. I met her in August, mm. and she lives in New York. So I was like, well, it's the, it's the universe telling me you need to go. But when I came to New York, I had no intention of moving in with her. I was looking for apartments because I was like, I'm not moving in with somebody that I've just met. Let's just, you know, I like my own space. I like my own. When I come home, I just want to sometimes veg out and I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to put the TV on veg or sit in silence and stare at whatever. I, sometimes I just want to do that. So if you've got someone who's like, talk to me. Because I had a girlfriend who was like that. Talk to me. Why are you talking? Why are you so quiet? Because I just need fucking space. Leave me alone, you know. So I didn't want to move in with her, but she, I was like, I'm gonna, she came with me to look at apartments. And every once in a while she'd go, you do realise I have a house, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do have a house. You're spending, you're going to be spending two and a half, three thousand dollars a month on an apartment when I've got a house. And I'd be like, yeah, but I need my own space. Okay, fine. But, you know, my house has got lots of space. And she kept, and so in the end, I was like, all right, I'll come and live with you for a few months. We'll see how it goes. But if I don't like it, I'm, you, you won't get upset if I leave and go and get my own place. Yep, yep, no problem. Moved in and it's just been sweet. It's been really great. It's been fun. We get on really well. We live together really well. It's been awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you see that happen? Like when you, when you were a... a what, like a child, uh, a punchy, punchy child? <laughs> they were punchy. I just oh, fought sorry. back. Yeah, I didn't were... start fights. Okay. I just ended them. It's different. Okay. I got picked on. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I have to fight back. Otherwise, I'm going to be the bull. I'm going to get bullied and get kicked about. For the whole- so I used to fight back. Revengeful, a vengeful child. Not, no, not, not revenge, not revenge. No? Self-defense. Self-defense. It was a way of defending myself and yeah. making sure that I did not become a victim of bullying. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to. How, how long does that happen? Does that. I ima- in my head, you, you punch back once and then they're like, okay, we'll leave you alone forever. But they just. That's not how it works. No. Oh, really? It, it, I had to take a few fights. Yeah? Not all the time, but I took a few. 
then then I got the I got the reputation of being a nutter, uh, and then it's the one like, fight, uh, two, three. Once I beat up four people, and beat up some of the toughest girls, then they go, all right. She's not one to be messed with. And it's cool. So when I fell out with my friends and they stopped talking to me, they didn't fight me. They just ignore me. Oh, is that not worse in some ways? I got used to it. Yeah? That's where my resilience comes from. And it's so funny because now all those girls <laughs> turn up at all my shows. They're my biggest fans. <laughs> my biggest fans. And I go, don't you remember when you used to call me names? Oh, yeah, but we were kids, Gina. I'm like, mm. yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Were you were you good at being alone before that period of time, or did that come from that period of time? Um, I think it came from it. Was you know at home I was never alone. I've got two brothers, two sisters. We had a house full of people. But uh, yeah, at school you know you learned to be self sufficient because you yeah. never knew who to trust and when they were going to turn yeah. against you. So I had to learn to manage on my own at school. So that, yeah, and then that, you realize it's actually quite nice being yeah. around yeah and now I'm like but I do like my own space I like it yeah you know I don't feel lonely when I'm on my own like even sometimes when I'm traveling for months people don't that doesn't get lonely I'm like no it's great sometimes I'll just I can go and if I just want to veg out in the hotel room all day and do nothing but watch Netflix I can with nobody saying we should do this why don't we go and do it's fucking great it's the best I love it yeah I love just doing nothing It's and best. it's really bad because I have sometimes I have hours and hours and I'm like, I should be writing now or or writing a sitcom or doing something. And I'm like, nah, nah, I just want to lie here <laughs> and watch YouTube for seven hours or watch gadget videos because I love gadgets. I will watch hours on the latest technology or the latest phone and what phone I'm watch. I'll spend hours doing that. I love that. I spent I had a seven day holiday alone and I thought oh, by day four, I'll be really bored. Nope. Never, I could have, I could have lived there forever. Just comp never left my hotel room. I love that. Yeah, it's the best. It is. It's great. So, luckily, I've got a girlfriend who understands. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, are you? I guess you must be an introvert. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I'm an introvert extrovert. When I'm out and about, I'm the life and soul of the party, and I have a good time. But not always. I can be at a party and, like, you know, because you're a comedian, people expect you to be entertained all the time. Sometimes. I just like to sit back and let my friends yeah. do it. And then people are like, are you all right? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm chilling. Yeah. I don't always want to be, I hate comedians who are on all the time. It, I find it terrifying. unbearable. Yeah. Unbearable. Isn't that a lot in the in the States though? The, the few times when I was in Montreal, I felt like all the comedians were very on all yeah, the time because they had to impress. Because they're in Montreal. All right. And okay. so desperate to be, you know. Whereas oh, that's people terrifying. like us have been to Montreal loads of times. I'm like, Ugh, I don't give a fuck. While they're all downstairs in the hotel bar, you know, I'm schmoozing. I'm up in my room. Yeah. I'm on Instagram going, I'm in my room. They're all downstairs getting pissed. I'm going to bed. Night. <laughs> I just don't care. You know, I've had so many disappointments over the years. I'm just like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I'm not out here to impress people. If they like what I like, they will like what I do, then they like what I, what I do. But, you know, trying to kiss us, I can't do the whole... Sh I'm not good at schmoozing. Oh, God, it's the worst, isn't it? I hate schmoozing. Oh, God. I, and, yeah. I've got managers who are good at that. So I go, I've got a manager, Jody, in America. And I go, Jody, go. Go schmooze. Go do your thing. I'll be in my room. Yeah. You know? It's the worst because you kind of have to pretend. Isn't I that can't the whole pretend thing? to talk to people. I'm not interested in talking to... I can't do it. The, the, no. It becomes awkwardly silent. I go... Mm. <sighs> I find it difficult. Yeah. I, I, you know... 
I can't pretend. It's, I find it difficult. So, yeah, I won't do it. So, and also because you've gone all in on being you, because that's what you do. Yeah. And then why would you suddenly... I mean, that, we, we, I couldn't imagine you being different. I just can't do it. No. I can't do it. I don't think you should. Neither do I. I right? refuse. <laughs> I know, but my agents are getting pissed off with me as well because they keep sending me for auditions for things. And I, I just don't turn up. I just like, I don't want to do it. Or they send me, can you put yourself on tape for this? And I go, no. that's the worst. I hate auditioning. I don't care about acting. I don't. It's a terrible thing. I don't give a fuck. I just want to do this and make millions doing this so I can have the freedom to just do chunks of shows and then spend four months just sitting on a beach or whatever or yeah. just sitting on a, you know. I don't care about being in a movie or being a movie star or being super famous. I I don't care. I saw you said in an interview, and I'm not sure, I think it must have been a few years ago, where you said that there were room for two kinds of women. You could look either like Beyonce yeah. or Precious. I don't know how old that interview was, but is that still, do you still find that's the case when you do eventually have to go to an audition every once in a while? Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's getting better because now they're getting using more lesbian characters on TV. <laughs> They've got the token lesbian stuff, so I'm starting to get lesbian things. <laughs> Which is fine, because <laughs> yeah. I look like one, so it's great. At least I don't have to go and try and go up for these roles where everybody's in high heels and weaves, and I'm like, this is not me at all. Okay. And I can't do an American accent. I refuse to do an American oh, accent. Oh, God, yeah. I, I can't do it, but in a way, I've kind of got a block against it, because I'm like, fuck them. Ricky Gervais doesn't have to do a fucking American accent. Russell Brand doesn't have to do an American accent. Why the fuck do I? I want to just be me. Yeah. Because I'm not an actor. I am yeah. me. I'm a character in myself. Let me just play myself. But obviously I have agents and they, 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 they <laughs> yeah. send me stuff. And I, I, you know, I try and pretend that I'm interested and go, ah, now this one, this role's not for me. And most of the time I've not even looked at the script. <laughs> Just I'm not interested. I went to one audition in, in LA and she kept saying I had to play an American and I kept saying I can't I can't I just really can't and she kept saying just try it and I was sitting there for 10 minutes going water oh. wa water <laughs> water oh. I promise I can learn water and she was what? like it's not gonna it's, I, I don't think it's gonna work I hate it it's the, oh, it's the worst. I don't want to be an American no But also you're sitting in that that audition place with all these very nervous people who this is their whole life and maybe this is the one they get this part and you just kind of feel like a bit of a, like, oh, I don't, this isn't, give it to one of them. They yeah, really, just, really want this. Yeah, I just don't give a shit. So I don't, and I don't like auditions because I feel, I don't feel confident at all in auditions. I hate them so much because I know I can't do an American accent. Mm. I've never had an acting lesson in my life. I'm just not interested in it. So I'm like, these are actors. I'm not an actor. And I bet you also, you want to be, wouldn't you, I feel like you'd prefer for a casting director, whatever they're called, to come to one of your shows and go, that's her, I want that. Yeah, and just write a part based around my character so I can just be yeah. myself. Yeah. Which is what they do for Russell Brand and yeah. Gervais and people like that. I want someone to do that for me. I don't want to go in and try and be somebody else. I'm a mad character and an individual character as I am. Fucking... Put me as I am in any sitcom. I'll steal every scene. Do you, you know? want to write something then? Or do you just want actually, to do it? I yeah? have actually uh, done a treatment for a sitcom. Basically, kind of uh, loosely based on my life as a comedian who's reasonably well-known in England and then goes to America and nobody knows who the fuck I am because I'm the only person that's done it this way. If you look at all the other comedians that have gone to America, they've all gone 
with that stardom already in England. So they yeah. the, Eddie Izzard went to America already as a star in England. So he had all that backing. Russell Brand, same thing. Ricky Gervais, same thing. I went in, nobody knew who I was. So I started from the bottom, earning nothing, struggling to get work. And I've slowly over the last 10 years built myself, myself up in, in America. So no other comedian has done it that way. So I've, I've sort of written a treatment for sitcom based on that, where I've come over and nobody knows me and I'm living in a shit flat. I mean, I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> living in a shit flat with roommates, which I never did. I'm OCD, never did that. But, you know, just doing the whole, I've come to America for the dream and it started off shit and yeah. working my way. <laughs> Everyone so, yeah. can relate to that. That's so, so relatable. Yeah, I'm, I'm pitching that right now. But we'll see what happens. That's so cool. If not, I'll just fucking make it myself. That's exciting. I have... Because I filmed my my second my first show was filmed by the BBC and they t- did all the decisions. What was that? What show was that? Uh, my first show, Bubble Wrap, my first uh, stand up show. Oh, okay, yeah. great, right. And that was whatever that was. But I yeah. also now I have no control over it no. at all because they own it, they exactly. own everything, and I don't like that they own my. But then I filmed it myself on Monday, my second show. And how did it go? It, I think it went. I mean, it went well. And doesn't that feel good when it you feels own it? I feel like I've I felt like it sounds so stupid I felt like that was the day I became an adult because all of a sudden I could say to people no you film this instead and I want to do this and this song has to be used for this song and they just did it I was like holy shit this is the first time I've done something and I own it and it's mine and oh my god and it's a great feeling because then you can now sell it onto them and license it to them and that's the that's the power in it because like when I sell these specials I go right you've got it for Three years, and after that, reverts back to me. And they've only got it in North America. So if I want to sell it again in England, I sell it again for more money. If I want to sell it again in Australia, I sell, and it's mine, I yeah. own all the rights. Yeah. A lot of comedians don't know the power of owning your own material. Oh, my God. Never sign it away. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's such, a, it's such a powerful feeling. Even sitting in the room with the editor going, no, that camera, do, go to that one, cut the joke kit. So I just handed them a finished product. Don't fuck with it. It's done. There you go. So when you were a teenager, did you, if someone has told you as a teenager that this was going to be your life, would you have believed it? No, I don't think I would. Why not? Because I was meant to be a doctor. <laughs> but you were funny. I was funny, but, you know, I was a black girl from East London. And all the guys on TV, apart from Lenny Henry, were white blokes. So you never think you're going to be one of those. I just, ne- it, ne- I never even considered it. And even when I started doing comedy, I still didn't consider it until I got on TV. Then I was like, oh, shit. Oh, this is how it's done. Oh, oh, well, then I can do this. And then it changed, you know. But up until that point, I was like, TV? No, I'm, I'm Gina from Bethnal Green. How's that going to work? Do you ever consider how many... Other genius from Bethnal Green see you on TV and go, oh, I can do that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the young black com- comics now coming up, uh, yeah, I can see, let's say, my influences stroke <laughs> material. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's what happens when you're a trendsetter. You start, you know, you kick open the door. Other people, are gonna, you can't, you, they're going to come through the door behind you. That's how it works. So, yeah, quite cool. I know there's a lot of people, comics, that have gone, oh, yeah, I used to watch you. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, shut up. Make him feel old. <laughs> I, the, the previous person I talked to today, he said, uh, who's coming in after me? I said, oh, it's Tina Yashara. And he went, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, she's good. <laughs> That's so funny. And I feel like I should have the money. <laughs> it goes with that 
respect and fame, <laughs> which I don't have, which is very irritating to me. Isn't it? But that's the business, though. Isn't <sighs> it? Yeah, but fucking look how some of these guys are making so much money from being mediocre. Let's be fair. Not all of them. I think Michael McIntyre is fantastic. I don't care what anybody says. No, he's obviously good at, good he's at like this. He's fucking great. Yeah, of course. He's funny. All right, what he talks about is banal. So what? There's rooms for all types of comedy. Not everybody has to be super political or super fucking surreal or super intelligent. Sometimes you just want to laugh at the number of wires you've got in your kitchen drawer, whatever. So what? Yeah. I hate that fucking snobbishness and, and judgment, you know, in, in comedy. I hate it. Ugh. Do you have any regrets? Regrets? Uh, I regret I stayed with my previous previous agent way too long. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he, yeah, he didn't, he didn't f- steer my career the way he should have done. He made me do a lot of talking heads, which okay. then I became disrespected for. Oh, she's on every talking head. So that became something to diss me with, even though it gave me a lot of exposure. So I don't, but you know, and when it came to a point where I was starting to, you know, it was Ian Stone who turned around to me once. So I, I was doing lots of really good stuff and I hosted the MOBA Awards with Coolio one year and, <laughs> and another famous rapper the following year. And then the next night after the MOBO Awards, I'm being driven around in a Mercedes, being dressed by millions of, loads of people, getting the whole star treatment, hosting this show that's shown all throughout Europe, millions of people seeing it. And the next day I was in Jongler's Watford. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and Ian Stone turns to me and goes, Gina, no disrespect, but what the fuck are you doing here? I never forget that conversation. I hope Ian still remembers that conversation. Because what the fuck are you doing here? And I remember thinking, what am I doing here? My agent should be looking to get me on tours and get me in theatres, and he's not. He's just pimping me out to these... Co- I mean, Jonglers was great. I loved doing Jonglers. They paid my mortgage for seven years. But I'd reached a level where I should be able to... I was, and that was one of the things that made me go, I've got to go. So that was one of my regrets. I took too long to realise that I was, you know... Deserved better. I deserve better, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. What other regrets? No. I've you don't I, seem like a regretting type. No. Which I think is kind of cool. I just, <laughs> I just do Look, I'm a person. I do it. If I want to do it, I will try it. If it doesn't work, great. But at least I tried it. And I go, fuck it. Well, I tried it. It didn't work. So, I, yeah, I'm not one for regrets. I'm trying to think of anything else I might regret. No. No. I mean, why would you? You're in a good place. I could be in a better place. Yeah, but that doesn't seem like that's down to you and your hard work. Uh, right? Maybe. Do you feel like you, you, you think you could, you could be working harder or... Maybe. You think? Yeah. Like, some comedians spend all their spare time writing and writing sitcoms and writing scripts. I don't do any of that shit. And I'm like, maybe I should. Maybe I should be creating stuff and not waiting for people to give me stuff. And in a way, I am. That's why I film my own stand-up specials. But maybe I need to do more. Maybe I need to... You know, that's why I wrote that treatment. I was like, well, this is something I'm passionate about. But I'm one of those people, though, if I write something and I, t- and I pitch it to a couple of people and they go, yeah, no, nah, that's not fluff. So I go, oh, maybe this is shit. And then I lose interest in it. And that's what's happened. Because that show that I pitched, I pitched it eight, nine years ago. 
Mm. When I first moved to America, I was like, I want to do... I want to do a sitcom stroke reality kind of a curvy enthusiasm type thing follow me on my journey from England when no, everybody knows me sitting so I pitched it to the channels in America and try and pitched it in the UK and people were like nah and then I was like oh and then I lost interest in it and put it away and then only in the last year I was like maybe I should create something I need to create something for myself rather I'm not going to get a sitcom they're not going to give it to me because I don't fit the look and, he's, and then I was like, I'm going to revisit that idea because I can't think of anything else to write. Because <laughs> I'm not a Shall ideas. I? You know, you give me an idea and I'll write every joke. But to actually come up with the whole concept, mm. I'm not into that. So then I looked at this idea and rewrote it and then pitched it. And then I got a lot of interest. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is good. And I'm hoping something comes from it. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to be like, oh, and then put it away for another 10 years. Because that's what I'm like. But that does, cause how does that resonate with you being someone who doesn't care what people think? I know, but it's just weird. Because I don't think I'm good at writing sitcoms and coming up with these things. And then if it doesn't go well, then I go, yeah, maybe I'm shit at that. Oh, so it's, only, so it's stand-up is another thing because you know you're I good know at I'm that. good at this and right, I know. So you're now visiting like a new thing. Yeah. Is that a bit scary yeah. or a bit... Yeah, definitely yeah. scary because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is, yeah. I've never gone to, I've, I don't know how to write a script. I've never written a script. I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I just write it how I think it should look. Yeah. And, but I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't want to do a course because I find all that gain of courses, I find all that tedious. I don't want to do any of that shit. So, yeah, it's new. That's new to me and a little bit scary because I'm like, I don't know. But I've got the ideas. So, you know, if a channel was to pick it up, I'd go, right, now I need writers. Because yeah. I don't want to sit and write this whole thing. Because I've got a very short attention span. My stand-up doesn't come from me sitting in a room writing. It comes from me just being on stage and having an idea and saying it. And if it gets to life, I go, great. And then I do it again the next night. I can't sit in a room. I've got, yeah, no. So that's the scary part. Trying different things that pertain to my career, that's scary. So, yeah, the whole script and writing things and creating projects. And, yeah. I still don't know the difference between a producer and a director. I have no... Well, and a promoter either. I, I have no idea. I just... It, it, that stuff doesn't interest me. Yeah. And I feel like I should be interested, so I, I should yeah. know the stuff, but I don't. I'm like, if I could just make my living just going on stage and telling jokes, that's all I would do. Yeah. So that's scary. You know, stuff like that. What if... So I always ask the same question at the end of all, all the podcasts. Okay. So we're back in the in the room where you were born, right? You 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 just came came out, teeny tiny Gina, right. and you're terrified because that's what babies are. Because there's lights and sounds, and they were just in the room, and it's all very scary. And you know what's going to happen in the next many years of this baby's life. So you get to say something to the scared little oh. baby about the. It doesn't have to be a. You don't have to change anything about your life, but maybe you just want to tell the baby something that it would like to know because you know what's. All the, everything it's gonna uh, it's gonna experience. So what will you say to little baby you? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, you're gonna be okay. Uh, just follow your instincts and your guts, and it will lead you in the right direction. Just, and have fun. Just enjoy yourself. That's it. Just do what you enjoy. Follow your gut. And don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not good enough. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's good. That's pretty good, right? You still need to be told that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Doesn't everybody? 
Yeah, I, I know I have this outward shell of super confidence, but I'm not always super confident. I'm confident in certain aspects of my life. Stand-up comedy, you can't tell me shit. I know I'm good at this. I know. But everything else, it's up for grabs. Even relationships, I'm not super confident. All the girlfriends I've had, most of them have att- uh, uh, approached me. Mm. I'm not that confident. Not at all. So there you go. Thank you so much. Where can we, uh, where can people go and see what you're doing? My website, ginayashere.com. G-I-N-A-Y-A-S-H-E-R-E.com. So everything's there. My calendar's there, links to all my stuff. And yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you just type Gina Yashere. I keep it very simple. Just type my name in. I will come up. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you. That was Gina Yashere. I hope I uh, did it justice. Um, she's so... I mean, yeah, she's obviously a, a, a fucking cool person. Um, if you want to in any way help out this podcast, go and share it with your friends, someone you like, someone you think would uh, would enjoy it. I'd love to see you on the Facebook page, which is called Made of Human Podcast. I'd love to see you on Twitter at Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H. Obviously, five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done that already. I'm uh, I'm gathering my favorite iTunes quotes on the new website, madeofhumanpodcast.com. And uh, just I have some of my favorites in there. You can go and test uh, and check them out under testimonies. I think I've called them testimonials. Testim- Anyways, favorite quotes is what it's called. Um, yeah, so so, uh, so that would obviously mean a lot. I feel like I'm asking too much of you. I'm like, buy my T-shirt. Uh because I'm so grateful for so many of you actually supporting this. There are people who've decided to donate via Patreon, which is a page uh, where you can go and uh, you can sign up for like a monthly, no, not a, like a monthly or an episode, like a amount per episode. It, it all makes sense when you go to patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. And on the new website, Made of Human Podcast, under donate, you can now donate a one-off amount. And... That's great. So many of you have asked me how to do that. So now you can just donate whatever you feel like donating. It could be like a one-off for all the episodes you've had. What What's this, like the 29th or something episode? You could donate £29, if that makes sense to you. I don't know. That's just to get some kind of example. Um, but for the, a Patreon is my favorite thing. I appreciate everything, obviously. It all touches me deeply because this is my favorite thing to do. And um, so, so you, but Patreon, I just love it because it's it's... I have people's names and their little emoticons and all of that. So I now want to say thank you to the people who have chosen to donate. Now, if I've had a few emails from people saying that I'm not mentioning their names, even though they are giving uh, more than $5 per episode. And that's the whole deal. Like, I'm going to say your name if you donate more than $5 per episode. But uh, when you do donate, you can choose whether or not you want the reward. And the reward is this so i have a long list of people who have not chosen that reward which means that you know i'm not going to say and i assume that's because you don't want your names read out loud which is fair enough um but just so you know you can go and um you can go and change that so that you will be on the list on my computer of people who will have their names read out loud which i'm not sure if you want to because get this i'm about to do it now and it is painful okay okay Oh God, I'm so sorry. I want to say thank you to Zach Hillica, Robert Knowles, Eve Wingerath, 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 Jesus, uh, Victoria Greer, Marnie Biles, Phil Vapulus, 
Olivia Hove, Hove, Joe C, Sylvia Novak, Georgia Brown, Kathy, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo, Ashlyn Cronin, Claire, Jane Young, Michelle Lincoln, Russell Hughes, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Claire Lamb, Rachel, Grace uh, Sutter. Uh, I, I even asked Grace somewhere how to pronounce her name and I forgot it. Grace Sutter. Kate Filler, Harold Van Dijk, Amy Couch, uh, Eleanor, Emily Rose Delks, uh, Helen Galliard, Sarah Ferrara, Ikeseth, Cherie Dunphy, Emily Glover, and Daniel Reifershade. I saw Daniel Reifershade on Twitter, uh, just his name pop up somewhere, and I was like, oh, that name! It's that name! <laughs> it's that name I don't know how to say. Um, and then I know... Uh, uh, Joe Green as well. Uh, Joe Green was on the the other list, but but um, but wrote me and and uh, and said that I hadn't hadn't said the name. So I have said that now. But do go in and change it because I don't I can't remember all these things. I'm sorry for for butchering all of your names. I think you have lovely names, but you know seriously, can you all just be called like Emma Smith or something? That would make everything so much easier. Uh, yeah. So I mean, thank you for for listening to this. Thank you for helping. You've done. I mean, so I feel like you're doing way more for me than I'm doing for you. And if there's anything I can do to pay you back, let me know. I uh, I, I just want to, you know, I just want to keep making this good and I don't want to disappoint you. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Bailey Leonard for my jingle, to Linda Brinkhouse for my logo and to Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. Thank you so, so much. I will speak to you next week and have a wonderful International Women's Day. Yay!